Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. First Kings 17, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Seraphith, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar, and And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward." Make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I have to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to me. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. 
Now I know. Don't tell me about your God. Show me your God. Lord Jesus, again, I ask tonight that there's something special here tonight that you want to share. And I pray that you would give me the wisdom to share. And I give you the praise and the glory, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. I want to point out a couple things that as uh, I was reading that jumped out of the pages at me. Notice that when Elijah came to the widow, the widow was gathering sticks. She was planning her last meal. Little oil, little, little grain in the bin to make bread. But when Elijah came to her, what did he say? He said, give me what you're about to lose first. Because that was all she had. She was only giving him what the last of what she had, and then she would lose it. When she gave it to him, what did God do? He gave it back, who knows, a hundredfold. Some people say that the barrel was always full. Some people say that the barrel always had just enough. But I think of the scripture that the Bible says uh, that, um, that the given it shall be given unto you, pressed down and running over. And I sometimes think that she had to clean up the floor after she served breakfast because when she dipped her, her little container into the, the flour or the meal, she just can't, couldn't, it spilled over because it was so full. So she gained what she was about to lose. Then the second example I see is her son dies. We don't know how old he is. We know that, that Elijah was able to carry him. He might have been small, seven, six, five years old, just a little, little child. And he said, give me your son. Remember, give me your meal. Give me your son. He takes the son, goes upstairs, and comes back down and gives her son back to her healthy. The Bible says, what you're about to lose, give unto me, and I will return it to you in a different way than I received it. You are perishable. You are here on this earth and you eventually will die. Your body will go back to the dust. You will lose your life. If the Lord tarries, everyone in this room will go back to the dust. It's regressing. But my Bible says, if I give what I am losing... To him, he will return it with life. And more abundantly. Life more abundantly. I think of the sermon that was preached here. Brother Kylie preached it about the four lepers. If we stay here, we die. But if we go unto them, we may die but we may live. 
See, it's a principle in Scripture. They're having a problem in the ministry of Christ. The disciples are frustrated because there's a, a multitude of people there and there's no food to feed them. And so they come to the conclusion that Jesus should stop ministering and preaching because there's a shortage on nourishment. There's no food. He says, they say, send them home. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? Well, we got one little boy's lunch. That would have probably been me. I'd have probably came with a lunch. Those guys weren't thinking, but I'm not going to go hungry. I'll bring a fish and some bread along, maybe a little blanket. And he said, give it to me. Give to me what little you have. That's all we have. Just a few loaves and a couple fishes. Give what you have to me, and I will give it back to you in a greater way than what I received it. I, that must have been amazing. There were 5,000 there, not counting women and children. There might have been 15,000 there. Because remember, they always just counted the men, never the women and the children. So with just a couple loaves and a couple fishes, they just keep, kept taking them out of the barrel there, or the little basket, and they kept feeding the multitude until they were stuffed. You ever try to feed 15,000 Pentecostals? <laughs> that's like feeding Israel. But see, that's what God does. He takes what we, the little we have, and we entrust it to him, and we overcome our fear. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. Fear, trepidation, anxiety, discouragement. All these things enter into our thinking and they cloud our vision. It's like driving to work in the morning, like this morning. I could be driving, and all of a sudden I would hit a cloud bank, and everything was obscured. Well, I knew there were trees there, and I knew there was an open field here, and I knew there were houses there, but I couldn't see them. I couldn't see if traffic was coming my way or if there was a school bus with its lights on and children crossing the road. I was driving by faith. And sometimes I could stop my car and say, I'm not driving because I, I don't know where I'm going. You know the dumbest thing that you can do is stop in your lane in fog and, and, and stay there. Because there's going to be somebody that's, well, I wouldn't call it faith. He's got courage. He's driving and he's going to run right into you. Get out of the way if you're stopping. This woman was full, but she was full of fear and anxiety. Her biggest battle was going over to the cruise of oil and to the barrel of meal and conquering her thoughts and imaginations of starvation. If I give this to the man of God, I'm going to starve. If I give a little bit, I give this all away, I'll give up the little time we might have survived by eating it. She had to conquer that. And you know, when Paul was speaking in 2 Corinthians, he's, he's talking to a church that's going through great tribulation and persecution. Christianity then is like Christianity today. It's lost its popularity. Anyone that wants to stand on the issues and on the truth of God's word has become a right-wing heretic. 
But Paul speaks out and he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, not through ourselves, to the pulling down of strongholds. Now notice what he says next. Casting down imaginations. What was that woman wrestling with? Imaginations. She imagined her, her child dying in her arms. She imagined herself starving to death. But the Bible says that God has given us the ability through the tools provided to cast away those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. Now, in that verse, I see some interesting words. I see the word knowledge, and I see obedience. Every one of us has knowledge. How many sermons have you heard in your lifetime? How much knowledge have you acquired? The devil wants to challenge the knowledge or the truth that you've received. And in the world, that's what they do. Through the philosophies that they present, they try to challenge the knowledge and get you to stop obeying God. That's the devil's plan. Hath God said that you shall not eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden, of the Garden? He challenges truth. Because if he can get you to doubt truth, he can bring in fear. I've heard, I think Brother Kiley uh, preached one time, he said, fear is faith in reverse. He wants every thought to fall into the obedience of Christ. Now, I, I know everyone in this room has experienced fear, and some of you are experiencing fear tonight, even as I speak. Oh, you're saying, what fear? How about uh, questions about your health? I don't know what that is, I'm afraid. Or I, I don't know what's, what's going to happen in a few years. How about fear of finances? I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. How about fear of losing your job? Your fear of a thousand things. But I want to tell you that the Bible boldly proclaims that God did not give us the spirit of fear. And when you're afraid... What you have to acknowledge by the word of God is that you have received an arrow from the enemy, piercing your faith. What did God give you? He didn't give you fear, but he gave you power, but of power and of love and a sound mind. When you are afraid or anxiety overwhelms you, and I know I've mentioned this before, common sense exits. You don't have a sound mind. For instance, I, with horses, I think of a sound horse. That, a sound horse is a horse that doesn't limp, that's physically well-tuned and healthy. A sound Christian or a sound mind is a mind that processes truth and operates in faith and believes in its source of strength. When you cannot do that, 
you are not of sound mind. You know what they do with people that are of not a sound, sound mind? They take away their ability to make decisions. Why? Because they're not capable of making good decisions. When you are under bondage to Satan's fear because he's challenged your knowledge or challenged the word of God and you succumb to it, your reasoning, spiritual reasoning, becomes clouded. And you're tempted to do things that a Christian in his right mind would never do. How about running away? How about running away from God? How about hiding out in obscurity and pretending that, that everything is all right when it's not? You know, with this woman, I find it very interesting that after a period of time that she just began to accept the miracle that was taking place and hardly acknowledge it at all because God did it every day. Her mind was reconditioned to just to the place of mediocrity again. Well, you've got meal today and we got oil today. It just happens every day. Well, I'm, that's, that's nice. And every day God blesses us like he said he would. But because he does it every day, and we see it happen every day, pretty soon we don't even notice it. The woman didn't even notice that the barrel was full anymore. Because I know that because after her son was raised, what did she say? Now I know. You mean you didn't know that after four months without buying any food or buying any wheat or any oil, just living off the barrel that was here while your neighbors were starving, you didn't know that he was a man of God then? That's why sometimes God, amidst the blessing, the blessing that you are experiencing, will send in calamity to remind you of who he is and what he can do. That's why Paul said, don't think it's strange the fiery trial of your faith as though some strange thing happened. We're living in blessings, and because we live in them every day, God has to shake us up so that we realize where our strength and provision really does come from. It's like the Israelites in the wilderness. I could give you story after story in the, in the Bible. Three million people living out in the desert? How does that work? Would you even take five people in a wagon out in the desert with your animals and expect to survive? But how about three million? How long would a little, little stream of water last with that many people? It'd be foolish. But God provided water from a rock. By the way, it was a rock that didn't have water before they came to it. Moses struck the rock and water came out. And enough water to water all the animals and provide water for bathing, water for drinking, water for cooking. It must have been a river of water. I, you know, I, I think about how the Lord talks about that same reference to us. How he can provide a river that comes from a source that it did not come from before. John 7. On that last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried and said, If any man thirst, 
Let him come unto me, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, before they flowed, there was no water there. There was no water in the rock. But all of a sudden, God brings something miraculous from a place where it should not exist. There shouldn't have been any water in a rock. Do you ever wonder if they had all that time wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, if anybody started to look around the rock to see where it was coming from? It's gushing out right out of a rock. I want to tell you, when we sing the song, I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day that I live, I am blessed. In the morning when I wake up until I lay my head to rest, I'm blessed. We need to remind ourselves and start operating with a sound mind and with true knowledge. Sometimes, now Israel goes into Egypt and there's 400 years of bondage and slavery for them there. And because of the slavery and the bondage and because of their doubt and their fear under bondage, their minds were conditioned to think a certain way. And that's, that's basically humanity on the earth. Because people, a majority of people, live without God and live in bondage, wanting help, but never really seeking God, they condition themselves to think in a particular way. And that way is unbelief. I, I can't believe. Even though evidence is all around them. I really love the preaching down at at winter camp. And I, I love the message that we saw here in church about the human body, about show me a miracle, look in a mirror, look at the complicated things, the millions of processes that are going on in your body right now, millions of them, your salivary glands, your pancreas, your liver, they're all chemical reactions. And even right now, that Big Mac that you ate, can you imagine all the stuff that's going on in your stomach with that? Gross. But your body is doing millions of things. And are you telling it to do that? No, I'm not telling it to do that. Are you telling your white blood cells to run up and down your bloodstream and looking for an infection? We're a miracle. And and it happens every day. And God produces miracles. But you know what people, humanity would do? They'd kill miracles. Abortion, kill miracles. No value, no valuable value to that miracle. Let's just destroy that miracle. That's why the Bible says we must renew our minds. The preaching of the cross, for instance, to an unrenewed mind is foolishness. But unto us, with a renewed mind, it's the power of God unto salvation. That's why we get frustrated, Brother John, when we talk to people and we're talking to someone with an unrenewed mind who cannot grasp the concepts of knowledge and truth. It's like talking to a person that speaks another language and they're that way because they've allowed themselves to be conditioned to think that way. And we can't change them. Only God can renew a mind. But to renew a mind, we must give it to God. Remember? 
If I give my mind or my thoughts to him, surrender my thoughts. Now remember what Jesus said. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So whose thoughts do you want? Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are of good report, think on those things. In other words, bring in a higher thought to help renew a blemished mind. The best way is to hear the word, to read the word, to listen to the preached word. A person that misses an opportunity to hear the preached word is one that is allowing Satan to tear down or challenge his knowledge in God. Because when I hear the anointed word of God, God's word comes in through power into my thoughts because of my ears. And when I think on them, they start to renew my concepts of who I am, who he is, where I'm going, what my, his plan is for my life. You know, one of the things that I've started to do, I think all the time that I waste doing basic things when I could just, I could listen to the word while I was doing it. I started, I can't say I do it every night, but most of the times when I, it's possible I do, I'll take my iPad and I'll put the Bible, my Bible on tape on and I'm brushing my teeth and I'm listening to the word, I'm laying my clothes out for the next day or looking at the clothes that are laid out for the next day. You know where I'm going, but I'm, what I'm saying is I'm allowing those things to enter in, in in times when there's nothing else going on. Because when I do that, I'm changing the way that I look at life. I'm giving God the, the ability to change how I view things in, around me. What does it mean to restore? To restore means to bring back to its original condition, like restoring a piece of furniture. How do you restore it to its original condition? You take out the old varnish. You get the original products. You put them on again, and you renew them. We have to, when we come to God, we actually have to unlearn things that we were taught. We have to unlearn practices and principles that we have lived by. Old things pass away. All things become new. We're reconditioning. We're re-renewing how we live and think and walk and talk. That's why when a person says, I don't think you really have to change, all you have to do is accept, I'm saying God isn't happy with the old furniture. He wants it restored. He wants to take it and give it back to you in the way that it once was. And he wants to instill in it something that was not there in his power and anointing and identification. He doesn't want us to be tormented by doubts. He doesn't want us to lay in bed anxious at night, overcome by the cares of the world. It's because we live in a, a fast-paced society that commands, demands our attention 
and we're bombarded with things that challenge our thinking and our relationship with God through the media, through the, what we watch in television or whatever we do, challenging our morality, challenging the deity of Christ. We've got to take control. We have to challenge those things that our flesh is addicted to. What do you think is the number one seller right now in the United States? I'd say throughout the world. What do you think people buy the most of if you looked at in, in the value of spending money? You got it. Drugs. Let's legalize marijuana. Let's, we don't, don't be careful about oxycodone. People want to get away from the feelings of fear and anxiety and discouragement. They want to go to a happy place. Because a lot of them, their minds are completely out of control. And you know what? I'm not picking on them at all. I think we all experience that when sometimes we're overcome with, with the, the responsibilities and the things that are on us and we're trying to fight to keep our focus. God, I can't stop thinking about that. Have you ever said that? Lord, I'm trying to pray. And every time I pray, I make it about seven seconds. And then all these thoughts come into my mind and I'm fighting to try to concentrate on something I need to do. Am I the only one here? I said this morning, I said, well, I made it four seconds before another thought came in. Well, turn on Christian radio. What am I going to do? Slap myself. Now stop it. Because the cares of the world will overwhelm us. And Satan knows it. I don't have to ask you if you've ever had a sleepless night. And you say, how do I stop the barrage of, of this terrible information? All these imaginations. I, I like to play chess. I haven't played it for a while, but I... I, like you, probably live my, like, my life like a chess game. And you're saying, what do you mean? Well, if I bring my rook over here, will he, he move his knight there and take my queen? Or if I leave my king there and I leave, move my queen, does the king become vulnerable? Now, let me put it in perspective. If I do this... Will this happen? Or if I, if I do this and this doesn't happen, will it happen down the road? And pretty soon, in my mind, I'm so focused on things that, not, that have not even happened to me yet. They're already causing me to have anxiety. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. I've got to learn, and you have to learn, Take the thoughts that you're wrestling with, cast them on him, and allow him to guide your steps. Because the Bible says that the steps of a righteous man, what's a righteous man? It's a man that follows the principles and ordinances of God and obeys him with the knowledge that God has given him. And God says, because you walk that way, you won't have to worry where you walk because I will guide your steps. For my word will be a lamp onto your feet and a light onto your path. You're the word of God. 
You know, people that have the most confusion and the most unrenewed minds are the people that don't read their Bibles. Try to talk to someone about their faith and ask them if they've ever, even ever read the book through. Have you ever read your Bible through? No. How often do you read it? Well, I don't read it very much. I trust my pastor to read it to me. Well, how can you make a decision based on partial information? How much do you trust people for your salvation? We're, we're facing a battle tonight, a battle for the control of our minds. That's where the true battle is. Some of us can't escape the past, and some of us are afraid of the future. And some of us can't even dwell in the present. And some of us are all facing all three. And because of that, we're completely anxious, and we're, 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 we're fearful. But the Bible says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't made it there yet. But this one thing I do, this one thing, I forget those things which are behind me. And I reach forth unto those things which are before me. The things that God has promised me. The promises of God. We're the people who are searching for a city whose builder and maker is God. I forget the stuff that's back there. I leave it in the past. I'm walking in the future. I'm focusing on the promises of God. And I'm resisting the assaults of the enemy upon my mind. Yeah, somebody's going to do you wrong. Well, what do you expect? Who's perfect? We're dealing with people that are in sin. They're making bad decisions. They may treat you unfairly. And you might get thoughts in your mind of revenge and injustice, and it will consume you. And the devil laughs in your face when that happens. When you can't forgive, he jumps up and for, for joy. And when someone won't forgive, you know how the angels rejoice in heaven over one person that repents? Well, hell rejoices over one person that will not forgive and lives in the past because he realizes that the revenge and hatred and injustice in their heart will not allow their mind to be regenerated into something that functions soundly. You can come to church and you can look sound, but we'll find out how sound you are when you are put to the test. Well, that horse looks really good. And I bought horses, a number of horses in my life, but I never bought a horse that I didn't ride. <laughs> I'm thinking of one horse. Can I tell you, lighten it up just a little bit, one, one horse. His name was Montana. And I, I bought him from somebody that said, this is the best cutting horse in all the world. It neck reins, it will cut, it will cut so quickly that it'll fall on the ground if you want it to, it'll cut so sharp. And we had this little bitty round pin that he said, well, just go ahead and ride it in the round pin. And I jumped on, her, on his back and I'm riding him and sure enough, that thing, you just touch the rein to the, on the right side or touch it on the left side. That thing cut, turned on the dime. Gave you a three cents change, I heard that somewhere. I don't know if it's true or not. 
So I bought it. I says, yeah, this is great. Because I, I was in the horse shows. I would do speed and action, things like that. So I thought I'd bought a sound horse and I couldn't wait to get him home and ride him for people. Then I found out that it had a problem. I should have taken it out of the pen. He was fine when you were walking. But if you gave him his head and allowed him to run, you could not get him to stop. And it was so frustrating because I did a speed and action event one time, and that's where you start in the box, you run the length of an arena, and you come back and you stop in the box. I entered that, and it was a big mistake because I, I had probably the fastest time of any horse there, but I was about a mile past the box and still going. And I remember I could almost hear the guy on the loudspeaker saying, well, we'll catch him later. <laughs> but see, you really don't know how good something is until you put it in the arena of life. And that's why the trials come and the tests come. Because God wants to show you your blemishes. And then he wants you to give your problem, your inconsistencies, your, your weaknesses to him and say, God, I don't have anything here that's really of value. I give it to you. It's not going to take me through. And God says, I'll take it. But now watch. I take it. I hold it. I give it back to you completely different. And that's the message that I want to give to you tonight. God doesn't want us to live in a depraved state. The Bible says you'll never see the seed of God begging for bread. He's always going to provide for you. Do you believe that? I talked to a lady this last week at work, and she was one of the residents, and we were talking about God and a whole host of topics, and hell came up. And she said, I don't believe in hell. And I said, well, that's very interesting because it's mentioned there a number of times in Scripture by Jesus. And, and matter of fact, I can show you, look at this verse right here. It says that they were cast into the lake of fire. She said, well, I don't believe that God would send anybody to hell. And I says, well, do you believe in heaven? She said, well, I believe in heaven. I says, well, how can you believe in one and not the other? Well, my God would never do that. Well, I guess, and I'm trying to control my Irish temper and say, well, I guess your God isn't my God because my God's word is true. And you can try to create a God into any image that you want him to be. And you may not like some of the things that God did or some of the decisions that he made and some of the things that happened to his people, but he's still God, whether you like it or not. Now you say, well, I'm not going to tolerate it. Well, you did. When you were a child, did you agree with everything that your parents did? Everything that they said, do you feel that they were unfair? Don't you think that once or twice they hit you a little bit too hard on the rear end? Oh, that's right. Oh, shouldn't say that. Corporal punishment. That actually knocked a few rough edges off of me. But was he just? I, I could say, Dad, I think you're unfair. I don't care. I'm Dad. Your child, that's the way life is. And some of you are smiling because you had dads like that. Did I love my dad? Absolutely. Did I obey my dad? 
most of the time. But I realized that if I didn't obey him, that he would punish me. And I believe and I serve a God that rewards righteous behavior and he, he disciplines unrighteousness. And because God does not execute judgment quickly on those that disobey, some feel that he will not do it, but he will do it. The Bible says that God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him because he trusteth in thee. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. You know where peace is going to come in your life? According to what I just read? Where is peace going to come from? Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, which would be God, because he trusts in thee. If you keep your mind focused on God and you trust him, the Bible says, not Brother Kylie, the word of God says, he will give you peace. And I know that because there's another verse that said, my peace I leave with thee, my peace I give unto thee, not as the world giveth peace, give I unto thee. I'm not talking about uh, something that just soothes you for a moment. I'm talking about a peace that goes from the top of your head all the way to the soles of your feet. But it's only going to come to people who train their minds to be focused on him and who trust him. Do you trust God tonight? That's the question you ask. And I don't think I'm out of order by asking the question because Jesus asked the same questions when he came to Mary and Martha when Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He said, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that? Well, do you believe that? Then why be afraid of death? If... If he's the resurrection and there's life after death, why would you fear death? I still feel like George Burns in one way. One thing I could agree with him on was he says, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. But God has promised us eternal life. We have to trust him. Well, I think I'm going to sort of wrap this up in just a second here. God has to get that, that old thought process out of us. And the Bible says this, and I'm going to close. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. He would not suffer my foot to be moved. He's the Lord that healeth me. I think about that in relationship to Psalm 23, when David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. And I think when you're in a valley, the best thing that you can do to comfort yourself in the darkness and the shadows of the knowing, unknowing and fear, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. I take my eyes off the thing that is scaring me. 
and I look towards the hills or I look towards God, the one that provides my help. That's one way to conquer fear. We need to acknowledge this, that God is with us in the valley. We can certainly see him in the green pastures and we can certainly feel him in the still waters. But when we sit amidst our enemies, the Bible says in Psalm 23, that's where we feel the anointing. Thou, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Thou anointest my head with oil. The oil represents spiritual anointing and power. And his peace flows through us. So whether you're in the pasture or you're drinking from the cool water, or you're walking in the darkness, the unknown darkness and the shadows of the valley of the shadow of death, or whether you're even sitting among your enemies, you can rest assured that in each place God can provide peace. Let's stand together. You know, Sister Missy, I don't know if you got that song, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. I, I remember one time I was really depressed. I was sick, and it's not, this isn't about me, but I remember this night I was in a hospital bed, and I was dealing with some issues, and I was really discouraged. And I remember it was probably early in the morning, about 2 o'clock, I just sort of sat up in my bed and I looked out the window at all the lights and I sang this song and I remember how the peace of God came into the room and matter of fact a nurse came into the room at the same time and she sat down right next to me and I sang this song with her and I said I just feel something when I sing it and I really felt that God sent someone in there to be the physical presence and then he sent in the spiritual presence. And together we sat there that for a little while and we felt the presence of God. And tonight, whatever you're going through, whether it's good or bad, some of you are on the mountaintop and some of you are in the valley. I pray that as we sing this song tonight, that you will lift up your eyes to the hills. Your help is on its way from the hills, which cometh my help and feel the peace of God in this song. And as we sing, if you feel like you want to come up to the altar and worship God, you feel free to do that. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.